Greetings, and welcome to Montessori in Action, a podcast for Montessori educators to remind you that you are not alone. I'm your host, Elizabeth Slade, and let's spend some time listening to what is in the hearts and on the minds of other Montessorians. Our guest today is Corin Clark, who has worked in the field of education for over 20 years. Corin currently works to develop micro schools within the Wildflower Network and operates her own business, Know Thyself Inc., which offers Montessori materials and professional development in service of the liberated child. Corin writes for the Wildflower blog and is the author of several articles and research papers. For more information about Corin, visit the podcast page on our website or see the show notes. Welcome, Corin. Thank you for being here and being part of Montessori in Action, the podcast. Really appreciate you being here today. Thank you. I um, was hoping to open with a word or phrase that captures where you're at in this moment. Gosh, where am I at in this moment? I would say I am the newly transformed butterfly with those wings that are spreading awkwardly towards my liberation and are banging down and destroying systems of oppression around me. That is just a casualty of my liberation. Don't take it personal. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that is amazing. I am coming just with pure gratitude. I'm really grateful for this conversation with you and also to be in this amazing work with you. So thank you for the conversation and for the wider work. Oh, my pleasure. It's great to be here. So I want to start our conversation today with the topic of cosmic task. This has always been an element of Montessori that has fascinated me. The idea that we're born at a certain time in a certain place under certain conditions with gifts and abilities um, to serve the wider world. And I wonder how you make sense of that in your own life. Yeah, I, I believe that we are, we're all here with a, a purpose that is greater than our own, um, that we are here to be stewards of the universe, um, and that the purpose is grounded in our identity and who we are, and who we are is unpacked. We are the collective work of our ancestors, and we are the future of those who will ascend after us. And it becomes a tricky path to understand and feel grounded and purposeful when you're living in a society in which your history has been destroyed and your purpose and place has been put into question. Um, so. I, I came to Montessori primarily because of that. My mother would always say I was the one that always asked why, why, why. I needed the answer to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and to find a place in which these, you know, primordial questions could be answered um, through the educational system was just mm-hmm. amazing um, because that's, it gives you an opportunity to bring like this really essential healing element into education, you know, where the space where the heart and mind can truly connect. Mm-hmm. Mm. Lovely. You, you mentioned your mom. You want to tell me a little bit about your parents? Sure. 
My mom was, um, well, I don't know if you ever like, I can't speak in past because she still is. <laughs> she is an amazing woman. I'll say that. Um, and she, um, you know, she, she is a product of Jim Crow, the Jim Crow South. So she, you know, lived through all the segregated, um, the time of segregation and, um, and, and escaped sharecropping, which a lot of like after the Emancipation Proclamation, a lot of folks um, were kind of stuck in this vicious cycle of sharecropping. Um, and education was really her lifeline. Um, there were some new incentives around that time, like right before, you know, maybe in like the 50s or 60s that were, you know, incentivizing giving folks scholarships to go to school. So she went to Michigan State University, got her BA in mathematics and then stayed there and got her doctorate in cultural anthropology. And she studied, um, she studied her kinship relations and um, did a lot of work in Kenya, um, the Kikuyu tribe. And that was when I was in embryo there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And later studied, um, you know, actually created courses that were focused on sexuality, um, kinship relations, and, um, and understanding, you know, one's identity with the, the peoples and cultures of Africa was another one she did. And she did that all at UCSC. So that was her very first um, job. She says her first academic job and her last academic job. Um, my father, on the other hand, um, for whatever reason in the North, things were integrated a little bit earlier. So he was like one of, um, kind of like, like me, he was one of very few black people in his school, but also ended up at Michigan State University after his father worked on the railroad and after his teachers would say, you know, that's what you're going to do. This is, this is what a Negro does. Like they work on the railroad. How dare you mm -hmm. want to do anything mm -hmm. else? Um, but he, um, he also went to Michigan State University, majored in, he studied communications and psychology and soon took a job at Stanford University, becoming a professor of, of psychology. Um, and we lived in, we lived in Santa Cruz. Um, and, and the story I like to say is that both of them could not find a place to actually live when they decided, okay, when they chose Santa Cruz, like, okay, this is a place where my daughter can go to school and I can commute and, you know, be close to, close to home, um, or close to work. Mm -hmm. They, they went to several, you know, they looked on the newspaper cause that's what you did then to see like what, um, what housing facilities were available, what was, what, what, you know, what was up for rent. And each time when they actually came to meet the landlord, the landlord's like, oh, nope, it's not available, not available, mm. you know, it's already mm. rented. <laughs> so finally they're like, okay, this is really odd. We'll just put out in the paper, black professional couple looking for a house to rent. And still nobody responded. So they ended up having to live in student housing. So I was the, you know, which is kind of cozy and kresge, you know, in, on UCS, if you've ever seen it <laughs> with the banana slugs and all of that. <laughs> but it was just a real testament of, you know, the kind of insidious racism of our time, you know, and that was me just right there in the smog of all of that.
Yeah. So what was that like for you growing up with that kind of intense racism? Yeah. I mean, I like to say I was talking to Tiffany Jewell the other day and I was like, I'm a product of of integration. I was like, no, I think I'm a casualty. Mm. You know, I mean, there's something that happens when you are when policy dictates the actions of those who are not prepared, who not who can't even see the smog of racism. And so the schools aren't prepared, you know, and the teachers aren't prepared. You know, and then, you know, you're meeting kind of this. Meaning the white teachers aren't prepared. The white teachers. Those are the, those are the teachers that, were, that mm-hmm. were there, right? Because at, mm-hmm. during integration, a lot of the really um, established black teachers lost their jobs. I mean, that, mm-hmm. it's not like they were, like, integrating black teachers. So you have tons of black teachers and businesses and, you know, all of that that are lost. Then you have black kids that are bust in and or, you know, are going into these white institutions and there's no spiritual preparation of the self. There's no examination. There's no self-study. There's no, there's no way or tool that folks have to look at themselves objectively, understand their culture, their prox, you know, the, the, where they are in the proximal access of their identity in relation to the television oppression of their people. And, you know, like I wade through a lot of visceral feelings of, you know, of microaggressions and this force of assimilation that is similar to when I talked to like my friend Trish who you know has it knows the history of like people on the indigenous land being going to boarding schools and losing parts of themselves it's like I this melting pot rather than this diversity salad which it could be they're just as yummy Mm -hmm. by the way Salads, I, I like salads even more than soups, but, you know, in soups, all the flavors just, you know, go into this one pot and it's supposed to be this unified thing, whereas in salad, you can, like, really appreciate the diversity each time you're taking a new bite. So it's, like, it was from that to, like, the crock pot at UC Berkeley, but, like, I will say that my parents, have, you know, were kind of, like, the North Star in this because I was able to see how they are able to to profess their humanity, to use education as that vehicle of liberation. Um, like my mom was on the front lines of being like the only black woman outside of Angela Davis is the other one, but like one of the only black women at UCSC, you know, and who would just fight her way as a bisexual woman, uh, underrepresented black woman, and, you know, really created so many movements or created, um, helped to establish like laws on sexual harassment all across the entire UC. So I was like, I was wow. the like kid in the marches, you know, mm-hmm. holding up the signs, mm-hmm. woman, you know, spelled with E-I-N mm-hmm. and all that, and, you know. And then my father was on the front lines there with um, Elijah Muhammad and the Black Power Movement with Malcolm X and like, you know, really, really professing this, this new sense of how it is that we see ourselves. Like you, you know, his whole thing was you don't need to use the paradigm that's there. Like, what is this with Freud? Why is Freud the one that is telling us how we think and feel? You know, mm-hmm. why is this the psychological norm when when most of the people in the world are people of color? Like he coined that term. Mm-hmm. I know it's new to folks now, this global majority, but he was telling me this like my whole life. You know, he was like, right, mo- like right. you are being maybe minoritized, but you're not a minority. Mm-hmm. And like, we have an ethos and we have a culture and we have a way of being, you know, and it and it resonates with Montessori. This is the thing. Like, oftentimes we don't mm-hmm. recognize that most of what we're seeing has already been colonized. When you decolonize it, you see the indigenous roots of everything. It's like mm-hmm. we teaching is not a one-way binary street. Like, 
it is the essence, it is the unleashing of what's within. And in my culture, we call that Abu Ariyanka, which means the dance that comes to life. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, he was able to see like this, the, the fact that like education comes from Rudajikar to unleash that which is within. So you create these, these climate where, you know, the, the, the t- teaching becomes um, of the essence, something that a child can do with each other, you know, with the teacher and vice versa. Mm-hmm. That's something that's embodied mm-hmm. and not done. Yeah. The dance that comes to life. The I dance really that comes like to that. life. Abu Ariyanka. Yes. Mm, that's lovely. So all of this is, is bringing my mind to um, your paper, Montessori, By Any Means Necessary, yeah. and the piece in there where you're talking about the responsibility of the Montessori educator to be aware of the scientist and the saint, but the, what they bring to each individual child. And, you know, when you were talking about being a casualty of, of integration, that I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that or your thoughts about how we as a Montessori community might not fall into that um, idea where we're teaching to a select part of the population rather than to all the children. Yeah, I think oftentimes we forget or we glaze over the Montessori philosophy and the Montessori's, um, what should I say, proclamation that we should all be saints, scientists, and servants. And I mean, the last, I'll never forget the the first time I mentioned that to um, the staff of teachers that I was working with. They were like, oh, that's a tall order, like a saint. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, saint in the sense that you're just dusting off your, your heart. You're just simply doing social emotional hygiene. Like you're not going into a classroom, you know, filled with all these biases, the gunk of the world and society, because we recognize that that is going to be mirrored on the children. The children don't just go, oh, who am I? They go, I am who I think I think you think I am. This is complicated. So it's a dialectical way of creating identity. So there's a, a responsibility that we have that I'm glad Mon- Maria Montessori speaks to, like study yourself, look at your prejudices. I mean, she says it right there. Mm-hmm. And this day and age, if she was here today, I mean, this is what she'd be saying, like, what, you know, why aren't we leaning into this? This is the first order, right? We need, and, and I always say, like, we need that social emotional hygiene for social justice, right? And the philosophy is built on this piece. Like, you know, it's a peace philosophy. You can't have that peace without having this justice. So you've got to be able to study yourself. You've got to be able to know not only your identity, but how your identity impacts those around you, right? And so that's when you move into the study and in and, and the scientist, right? So now that I know who I am and I can see clearly who the children are, now I'm responsible for studying, for studying the intersections of my identity and their identity to see through like the, the identities that I think about the least are those that are just kind of shining brightly but those are the identities that I can oppress others with that they might have to hide in the shadows about. So I talk mm-hmm. about maybe being like a cisgendered woman, like those identities I don't think about, you know, as I'm moving through. But those are the places that I could actually cause oppression to others if I don't. Mm-hmm. And vice versa, there's identities that I think about a lot. And that's where the light isn't shown. You know, that's where I'm feeling oppressed by somebody else who's like, oh, you know, I'm white, I'm, you know 
holding up my space here. So studying, 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 studying the child, observing through. And I think that sometimes folks forget that there is this intersection between our consciousness um, in, in the sense of the, the kind of subconscious um, flight or flight system that comes out when we act out of our biases, right? When you mm-hmm. think about a lot of the different mm-hmm. murders and the things that have happened, it's this like subconscious bias that just comes out, this flight or flight, this like, I, I don't know, I, I, you know, I was just scared. I, you know, mm-hmm. this, is the, this is the place that we have to fine tune. We have to do the spiritual work. We have to do the healing work so that we can actually observe clearly, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that we can really see the children because that subconscious bias comes to place in all of our observations and so that we can see ourselves too right so we can see ourselves yeah yeah Yeah. I mean I I I love the seeing the children clearly but I would say sometimes one of the biggest pieces of work is seeing ourselves like you were saying as a cisgendered woman are you aware and like that we're bringing that into the classroom that awareness of the places we are unaware how that is so critical. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the whole saint piece, seeing yourself and the science piece I, you know, I look at is, yeah, seeing the children and seeing your intersection, the intersection of, you know, of the environment, proximal place. How am I, who am I here and there, here and now, and who are the children here and now? Like in looking at the the historical con, you know, context so that they can really understand. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it's like, now that you know, you're responsible. Right. Now that, you know, servant, serve them by any means necessary. That means break through your constructs. It comes back to like that butterfly thing, like break through your constructs at this point. Like, I don't care what you're married to. If you came to the Montessori, married to the method or married, you know, it's like now is the time to give the child what he needs mm-hmm. or she needs. Mm-hmm. Follow the child. So. Um, that's what I was alluding to. In there. Wonderful. And that's a perfect segue. I was going to ask you about the um, post on the Wildflower blog um, that you did in June, Montessori, Authentic or Keeping It Real. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about what prompted you to write that? Um, well, I really would say it's the times that we're in, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just, it's, it can be incredibly depressing, right? I and mean, I saw you you drink a glass of water, is the glass half full or half empty? You know, <laughs> it's like I was reading Formation of Man and, you know, and seeing where she said, we're all taking shelter. We are, um, you know, the, the food chain has been broken. We, humanity is, is lost. Um, we're suffering to salvage our humanity. And I'm like, this is, this is the time we're in like all over again, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and if we have, thankfully we have a pedagogy that's designed to honor humanity. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, let's, let us utilize that, you know? So that was my, that was my, um, like in the blog that I wrote, that was, that was the calling is for folks to look like, I know we have a lot to lose, you know, we're not in physical proximity with each other. We can't do Montessori in the way that we had once envisioned. Um, but as we move away from the physical method, we have an opportunity to look at the spiritual and theoretical theor- 
theory of Montessori and pedagogy of Montessori and recognize that, that this is a pedagogy that can be in a time capsule. Like it's for the times, you know, we always are going to need to nurture our humanity. And in most schools, we see humans, but no humanity. We see humans who are there um, off in the summer and, you know, there to, for, to, you know, to till the land, doing agricultural movement from, because it was created in the industrial movement. We see people who are going out and creating, creating situations where the new CEO can be born because, you know, obviously we need that if we're in a space and time where um, we are in venture capitalist times and, you know, so they're shifting this education, you know, mm-hmm. um, which, which has been what Bettina Love calls a spirit-murdering spirit institution in a lot of ways. You know, they're bending mm-hmm. education to fit whatever political economic structure there is. So, mm. you know, people, humans will always be humans. Mm. We'll always have our fundamental needs. We as Montessorians know <laughs> what those mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. if we can call forth that portion of Montessori and recognize that that is what is authentic and that is what's keeping it real for us mm-hmm. right now. And mm-hmm. real learning happens in real time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love the quote that you pull out from that Um Either education contributes to a movement of universal liberation by showing the way to defend and raise humanity, or it becomes like one of those organs which have shriveled up by not being used during the evolution of the organism. That's right. Oof. Yes. Man. Yeah. She is such a throwdown, isn't she? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, this is a movement. Don't get it wrong. Right. Right? right. And this is yeah. what she was saying. Like, she's like, this is ridiculous, this time and place we're living in where, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, people are, their their morality, and that's what she spoke to. It's like their morality mm-hmm. is so low. Like, we need mm-hmm. to reform the character. Like, forget that. We need to reform humanity and reshape mm-hmm. our world. Like, that's a big charge. That is such a beautiful opportunity that we have as Montessorians, like, and as teachers in general, working with children, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, literally, it's like putting your hands on the earth. It's like, this is what's going to happen. This is what I'm forming. I'm going to step back and, you know, you're going to take the way. This is our future. And so, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to do this in a way that embeds a sense of morality and humanity into the future generation is is a gift and and so that was an imperative and you know I referenced the article that I wrote with um Angelian Lillard and Virginia McHugh um about um entitled authentic Montessori and contemporary considerations and you know and in that piece there's you know and Angeline Lillard and Virginia McHugh really do lay out what authentic Montessori looks like in terms of the method and you know and and in general kind of thoughts about that and and mm-hmm. then I move into like the the five elements of Montessori that are liberatory in nature the elements of the philosophy that you know allow children to be critically conscious to be empowered to make choices and to ground themselves you know in their purpose so that they can prepare for a new the new world activists, right? We're activating our, yeah. our future. Yeah. Right, right. And that's circling in my mind right back to the idea that we're offering them then an opportunity to like 
connect with their own cosmic task at an earlier age. Right. That it doesn't get buried under an education system that isn't acknowledging the pieces that you mentioned, but that that's being actually brought forward so that young people are connecting with their contribution, their unique way of being in the world. Yes, Mm. exactly. You know, and I, I mean, I know it can be daunting. Um, In the last conversation I had with Tiffany Jewell, she's like, well, what keeps you in Montessori? And, you know, I'm like, yeah, you know, when I, when I look at all of the, the ways in which, Montessori teachers, you know, not only have not leaned into this this um, map roadmap towards anti-bias, anti-racist education that's built into the um, the philosophy. That is to say, that there is a roadmap in the the saint, the scientist, and the servant. That is not to say that if you follow that, you're going to be anti-bias or that anti-bias is, but there's a, there's a place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead you see this, you know, black and brown folks being the um, assistants for years. And, you know, you see this, this like, you know, I mean, these stark inequities, you see folks that are like kept in these time capsules and not, you know, and, and have the will to just go, oh, you know, this is, this is a challenging student. I'm not going to check myself and, and, you know, and check them. Let me just have them not come in the school, you know, mm-hmm. like whether it's a charter school and you can choose your way in and choose your way out or whether it's a, you know, a private school where it's like, you know, those choices are being made. Um, you know, so what, what keeps me in it is the recognition that this is, this is, this is ours, this is mine, this is like, this is the way of learning that is within my DNA. Like I can trace this all the way back to the Keynesian philosophy of Africa, the Congo, like the most intuitive um, pedagogical practices that there are, you know, are in, you know, in Montessori just because she found it at this day and time and called it Montessori doesn't mean that it's always been that it's been ageless and to be able to see my own daughter grow into an incredible activist and see everything mm. like think something like oh I think I want to go to research at, at, at Stanford I'm like hmm, well you're only uh 14 you're not in high school yet but oh wow she got this research program you know or I think I'm gonna go write this book I'm like hmm. you know she wrote she you know she got herself published in books it's just like you know and I'm like oh I get it I see you've been nurtured in Montessori in this mm. environment where it was like mm. you know Mm-hmm. Not afraid to take on these challenges, understanding yeah. your responsibility in the world. Yes. And, yes. you know, mm-hmm. so like, yeah, the type of, yeah, that just gives me chills. You yeah, know, I mean, she too. had a, a hard time like recognizing the grading when she went into public school because she was mm-hmm. like, I got to be, she's like, I thought that I, that I loved the course, but I guess I didn't because the teacher gave me a B. And I'm like, no, like, no, that's no, no, the teacher doesn't get to decide, you know, I had to, you know, talk to her, you know, there was a little (laughs) bit of like Montessori home coaching that we had to do to translate that, you know, but, you know, when you have that personal relationship with your education, which it should be, then after that, it's like, you know, so soon she was like, president of the school and, you know, got this reward for like civic engagement and, you know, Mm, mm. 4.3, you know, it was just like, and, and organized all these protests. And I'm like, okay, like, this is what we're looking at. We're looking at like us being able to 
unleash that potential, right? All children just being able to be fully in who they are, like unapologetically Mm -hmm. and move forth. Um, So that's when I can go, okay, I can, I can relax a little bit and let like, you know, even though this, this is not the world I wanted to like release her into or any of my students you know, Mm -hmm. into, but I can at least say that like, I think that you have enough seeds within you to make the changes that are necessary. So Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, beautiful. I love that we got to talk a little about your your parents and talk a little bit about your children and just like mm-hmm. your the prepared environment of your life. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I wondered if you would um, talk a little about us as a worldwide Montessori community and what do you see as our critical next steps to fulfill the vision? Wow. Yeah. When I think about the worldwide Montessori community, I think about my friend Nancy in the Gambia, who's creating Montessori schools out there and Montessori for all. I think about, you know, the schools that are in Tanzania, the Montessori schools that are, you know, I think about the different challenges that people face um, or, you know, the challenge in in Africa, Nancy, who is Gambian, who like for people who are actually bridging this pedagogy or my friend who is from Senegal, who has a Montessori school out there, who's bridging the pedagogy. It's, it's being able to dust it off and recognize, Oh, this isn't like, you know, this, just this white woman cult thing. This is something that like, when you dust all of that, you know, kind of social marking off, you can see how it it is something that is um, indigenized and can be used to preserve the culture and practices of your people, you know? And then I think about these schools that are actually created from this like saviorism space, which does exist in our society um, where it's like, Oh, these people don't know better and I'll create the school and I'll, you know, be able to kind of, you know, indoctrinate them and use education in a, in a way that makes me feel like a savior, but doesn't really honor you know, the humanity of the people that I'm working with. I say, if like, if you're working for me, you're wasting your time. But if you're working with me, you're understanding that our generation is bound together. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot that we need to do um, to examine ourselves globally, to really, to really take a hard look, Montessorians, is to like, and to be accountable for the harm that we've done. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes I'm seeing especially in this kind of new movement of black liberation, AMI and AMS, and a lot of big organizations are like, oh, okay, wow, this is great, you know? And somebody who's just like walked into the field as like a white woman, like, I'm going to start an anti-bias training now. I, I took a course, I know, you know, rather than like, oh, this is a time for you actually to look into all the corners on all the margins and see the black and brown people who have been oppressed and ask them to speak, step back and give them space to lead you forward. This is not a time to capitalize off of you know and uh, you know to to hashtag and to capitalize off of the movement so I think we have a lot of hard work that we need to do as Montessorians um and and to do a lot a lot of kind of global self-study in order to be able to take even one small unified step Mm -hmm. in the right direction I mean, we've been like at each, like AMS, AMI, we've been at each other for a really long time, just internally, mm-hmm. you know, defining Montessori just internally. It's like, okay, let's, let's stop that. Mm-hmm. Let's look holistically, you know, at what's happening and let's see where we can move forward. Mm-hmm. 
So you um, write about Asa Hilliard in your writing, and when you were talking about like creating some space for the black and brown people to speak up, can you talk a little bit about his work in Montessori? Because I didn't know about him until talking with you and reading you. Yeah, yeah. So Asa Hilliard is a major, amazing, amazing um, Egyptologist. Um, he is a, a doctor. He has... Um, well, a doctor of psychology, I believe. And he there is a um, a tribute set up to him in a museum in Atlanta that folks wow. can look at. But yeah, he was married to Montessori as well. Um, he was he's published in NAMTA. Um, he is so he is himself a Montessorian and has written several really profound articles that a lot of folks are using as like the the axis for the creation of their Montessori spaces. Um, so one of the ones I was just talking with a friend of mine, Trish McHugh, who has a Montessori school that she uses to um, preserve the indigenous culture, um, Native American indigenous culture of, of her tribal lineage. Um, so this particular one I referenced and introduced to her is, is um, Montessori, the a multicultural perspective, um, bridging in cultural salience. So I know that I am not quoting that directly, the <laughs> direct title, okay. so I can okay. actually get that from you. <laughs> yeah. But um, that is one. And then the other one he did is called, and that one pretty much outlines like the ways in which Montessori, the Montessori philosophy can, um, can, can host um, different, the space for different cultures around the world. And he kind of outlines that. And the, and the other one he does that I reference a lot is called Montessori as a method for humanity. And again, it talks about the fact that like many of these other pedagogical structures are methods for whatever is reflected within the political economic system. But Montessori is this timeless method um, that that really honors the humanity of the individual. Wonderful. So Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for sharing more about him. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for, you know, making this time and speaking with me. I felt like um, definite real connection with you when we first met. And, you know, I'm I'm just happy that you're taking this new step and, you mm -hmm. know, and creating this space for for voices. And and I just wanted to know from you, like what has um, inspired you to create this organization and to do these podcasts? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Um, you know, Public Montessori in Action, the full organization, I think its real impetus for beginning was to sort of accelerate some of these pieces of work um, in terms of like getting ready for the revolution, you know, that, that it is time. And mm -hmm. to be able to create space for passion projects to move things forward and accelerating and emphasizing um, the voices of the global majority and the podcast in particular is to, yeah, to be able to hear the pieces of the conversation that are going to help to move each one of us individually forward in our thinking and how we might better serve children. That if our whole vision is creating these resilient public Montessori programs where children can thrive, um, then the side work of readying ourselves, preparing ourselves, 
um, as you said, spiritually, in addition to, to physically, uh, for the work mm. means digging in together. Means really um, listening to pieces that might be hard to hear and pieces we haven't thought about yet, and bringing it to consciousness. There's a lot of writing around unconscious bias, and people always say, "Well, I'm unconscious mm-hmm. of it. How can I? How can I possibly do anything?" <laughs> right. You're like, "Well, right." right. right. Mm-hmm. So, how do we begin as a Montessori community? elevate our own consciousness through dialogue and reflection Um, Mm -hmm. and i'm so grateful to you for being the bold and brave first guest on montessori (laughs) in action the podcast thank you so much my pleasure it's definitely my pleasure yeah wonderful to talk to you today thank you you too yes our show is a project of public montessori in action elevating voices in the community to forward the mission. Our host is Elizabeth Slade. Our producer is Isaac Price Slade. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and sharing it with others. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts.